Now we are going to look at our verse for the year and the month uh, this morning. So would you open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah 26. Now I'll give you fair warning that our text today is going to be both an encouragement and a dose of reality in that it speaks of a much better future that awaits us even as it indicates things are going to spiral downward here on earth. Now chapters 25 and 26 of Isaiah are a bit of a package deal and they speak of a time when God defends the nation of Israel. They look upon the one whom they pierce, meaning they recognize nationally that Jesus is the Mashiach ben David, the Messiah, the son of David, the Holy One of Israel, and they enter into the millennial reign of Christ on earth with Jesus ruling as the Prince of Peace, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords from the city of Jerusalem. Now in chapter 25, 6 to 9, we're told that in this mountain that refers to Mount Zion, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. He will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Now some of this language obviously is uh, parallel with the book of Revelation, sending us forward in time obviously. And the rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken and it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God, we have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him. We will be what? And rejoice in his salvation. Aren't you glad there are better days ahead? Now someday death is going to be swallowed up. Someday wars are going to cease. Someday the Lord is going to make a feast of choice pieces and sorry to any vegan friends out there, meaning the best cuts of meat will be served at the feast. We'll be having filet and prime rib and maybe some chicken or something. But someday Israel will say of Jesus, this is our God. We've been waiting for him and now we are glad and rejoice in his salvation. So what does all this have to do with the New Testament church? Well, Revelation 19, 6 through 8, John says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as a sound of many waters and as a sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready, and it was granted her to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints, of the reward of our service to the Lord. Then we're told later in the same chapter in 11 to 16, now John says, I saw heaven open to behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. That's a symbol of absolute authority. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. 
He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. Who is this we're talking about? It's Jesus. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen. The fine linen is representative of what? The righteous acts of the saints. So who's coming back with Jesus? The saints of the church. And we are clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And we followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, Revelation 20 verse 4 also adds, John speaking again, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they, what? And reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The, Hebrew, or the Latin phrase is milli annum, or a millennium. At the second coming, the Jews who survived the tribulation will recognize Jesus as their Messiah. The church will return to the earth with Jesus from heaven, and the saints who died in the tribulation will rule and reign with the church as Jesus rules the world from Jerusalem. And our verses that we're going to examine this morning are actually the lyrics to a song that will be sung in that day or during the millennial reign of Christ on earth. Our verse for the month and our topic and title today highlights something we need to remember, not just in this year, but at all times and in our season as a church, uh, we need to remember this morning, and here's our title, The Blessings of Trust. The Blessings of Trust. Now, Psalm 33:12, King David says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Now, the word nation here is the word goy, and in the Hebrew it speaks of non-Jewish peoples or countries. The word people is actually come, and it means a congregation or tribe. It speaks directly to the nation of Israel. And it reminds us that someday Jew and Gentile are going to worship the Holy One of Israel in unison and sing the song of salvation during the millennial reign of Christ on earth. And yet we note today that our nation and world continues to unravel. And I thought we might all need a reminder this morning of the blessings of trust. Now we know that this is a biblical concept because Psalm 34 and our text tell us, 34, 8 of the psalm says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who does what? Who trusts in him. And this will be stated, as I said in our verses again this morning. So let's take a look at the lyrics, at least to the first part, of this song, recognizing someday, not only are we going to sing the lyrics, but we're going to know the tune. And until then, we can walk in the blessings of trusting in him, even as things continue to speed toward their fulfillment during the tribulation. 
So with that said, would you stand and read with me, please? We'll look at not only our PowerPoint verse, but those surrounding it this morning. And we'll read from Isaiah 26, verses 1 through 14. Isaiah 26, verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. For he brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city, he lays it low. He lays it to the ground, he brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, the feet of the poor, and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness, O most upright. You weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of the uprightness, he will deal justly, unjustly, and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they will see and be ashamed for the envy of people. Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all your works in us. O Lord, our God, masters beside you have had dominion over us, but by you only we make mention of your name. They are dead, they will not live. They are deceased, they will not rise. Therefore you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. And Lord, we thank you for our time in your word this morning. We thank you that we have within our pages, God, within our verses of this song, such beautiful reminders of the future that awaits us so that we need not be overwhelmed by the problems of the present. We thank you for the glorious day that we will see you face to face. And to that we add, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And all God's people in agreement said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the first thing we'll look at this morning concerning the, uh, the aspects or the elements, if you will, of the blessings of trust comes from verses 1 through 3, which includes our PowerPoint verse for July, verse 3, that we read earlier. And the song begins with a declaration of fact. We have a strong city. And then we read that the city is so strong that God will deliver the city from the need for walls and armies. And we also need to remember that the word salvation can be translated and understood as deliverance. Now, I know most of us are familiar with the old German hymn, Ein Festberg ist Unser Gott. I'm sure you all know that. We could sing it right now. And you really could. It was written by Martin Luther in the late 1520s. And the first verse says this, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Somebody say amen to that. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work his woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. 
on earth is not his equal. So we have again a contrast presented even in this famous German hymn concerning that our God is a fortress. He is a bulwark never failing, yet Satan does not give up. He keeps coming. He keeps after the church. He keeps after Israel. He keeps seeking to destroy them. And his craft and power are great. And he is armed with cruel hate. And on earth is not his equal, but God is in heaven and we are on earth. And God is someday going to destroy Satan and cast him into the lake of fire forever. Somebody say amen. Now, I thought it important to include this because it tells us a little bit about what a bulwark actually is. A bulwark never failing. The word literally means an army. Figuratively, it means an entrenched army, an immovable army, an army that cannot be defeated. And truly, our God is just that. And therefore, because he is the entrenched army of this city that we're singing about and will sing in and around during the millennium, it needs no wall. It needs no military force for protection. It is a city of open gates that the righteous nation may enter because they trust or they keep the truth and trust in the Lord. We get a wonderful uh, word picture of this as well in Proverbs 18.10 where we're told the name of the Lord is a what? It's a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. We live in a time where sadly our nation is imploding. Evil is prevailing. We live in a time where evil is called good and good is called evil. We are seeing the guilty protected, the innocent punished or penalized, and it's good to know there's a better day coming. I have to say I was shocked to see Forbes magazine run an article, and many other media outlets carried the same article or at least the similar content you know, the church is being continu or continually being uh, pushed into a corner, told not to do this, don't do that. But they ran an article that says, research shows that the protests, the riots, and the looting did not con contribute to the spread of the coronavirus. Well, what research exactly are you reading? And the article said these peaceful protests and protesters maintained social distance and wore masks throughout all of this particular season. I, I, I don't know what channel they were watching. It must have been CNN. Because they sure weren't watching anything that the rest of us have seen develop. And yet here we are as a body of Christ. We're told, listen, it doesn't matter by the California governor again. doesn't matter how big your sanctuary is. You can't have more than 100 people at a time within the walls of the sanctuary. That, does that make any sense whatsoever? If you have a sanctuary that seats 3,000 people, why would you be limited to only 100 people when you can cram 1,500 people into any given Costco on any given day of the week? It just doesn't make any sense. There has to be an agenda. There has to be something spiritual going on, and indeed there is. We live in a time of rising anti-Semitism. We live in a time where there is rising hatred for the church, and the church is seeking to be limited by those in places of power. But Jesus is coming soon, and there's a better day that awaits us all. 
Now, verse 3 tells us how to maintain our peace, at least peace of mind, in such a time as this, or any other time for that matter, and that is by trusting in the Lord. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in the Lord. Now, what that tells us is this. Here's the first of three considerations this morning concerning the blessings of trust. Listen, when our trust is in the Lord, so is our hope and peace. When our trust is in the Lord, or he is the object of trust, the one in whom we place our trust, we've also tapped into the great resource of hope and peace. Now, we live in a time the Bible described as perilous and lawless, and one click of the news proves it's true every single day. It's a time where hope and peace are lost uh, within many, and yet it's because the shalom, shalom, that's the actual Hebrew of the phrase perfect peace, shalom, shalom, is because of trusting the Lord. Do the vast majority of people in our country and world today trust the Lord? No. So shalom, shalom is going to be absent because he is the object that we place our trust in. He is a source of hope, joy, and peace. And we need to remember the words of Psalm 127, 1 and 2, a famous phrase, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards a city, which he is going to guard this city, this Zion we're reading of today and singing about in the future, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved what? Sleep, rest, which comes from the Lord. Did not Jesus say, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Does he not describe eternity as entering into your rest? I'm ready for some rest. How about you? Now, Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 reminds us, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is what? Or who, I should say, is God. Now as we await this city whose builder and maker is God, we can do so with joy and peace in believing, which allows us to abound in hope because we trust in the Lord. Now, this world is a mess, but the city of God won't be. This world is out of control, and yet God remains in full control. The world has lost its mind, but we can still have peace of mind. The world is now filled with violence, but someday the gates of this city are going to be open, wars are going to cease, and all nations that keep the truth are going to enter in and join us in the song of salvation. And one of the blessings of trust is that it connects us to the source of hope and peace. Now looking again at verses 4 through 9, Isaiah says, trust in the Lord as long as you feel like it. For how long? Forever. 
forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. He brings down those who dwell on the earth, the lofty city, he lays it low. He lays it low to the ground, then he brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness, O most upright. You weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. <clears throat> Excuse me. Isaiah told us that shalom, shalom comes from trusting in the Lord. And now he declares the greatness of God through a, a phrase found exclusively in our verse and in Isaiah 12, verse 2. And it's the phrase, Yehoshua Yah. Now, Isaiah 12, 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He has also become my salvation. And trust again is connected to or attached to Yehoshua Yah. That's actually what we're familiar with, the tetragrammaton, the four letters that are Y-H-W-H or Yahweh. As, uh, and that's what's translated as Yah, uh, the abbreviated form of Yahoshua. And Isaiah says in 12.2, the Lord is my strength and song. And then the song of the millennium includes that same truth. And this establishes both by right, by position and ability through the divine strength and power of the Lord to bring down those who dwell on high and to lay low the lofty city. Now, Proverbs 29, 23 reminds us, a man's pride will bring him where? Low. But the humble in spirit will retain honor. Psalm 14, 1 and elsewhere in the Psalms we find the phrase, the fool has said in his heart, there is what? Is our nation filled with fools today? Who are saying there is no God? They are so prideful. There is no more prideful declaration than to say that there is no God. And they will in their pride be brought low. A city and a people perched on the hill of self-righteousness and lifted as it were almost to heaven by the pride of man. God will bring it down just as he did Babel. And it is part of God's character to lift up that which is downcast and to cast down that which is lifted up in pride. For when men exalt themselves, they shall be brought low. And when they humble themselves, they will be exalted. And verses 5 and 6 indicate a reversal of fortune during the millennium when the oppression of the poor and needy by the prideful will be replaced with justice and uprightness as the Lord will weigh the path of justice. In other words, he will determine what is right and when judgment and justice is due, and he will be the judge of all the earth. See, if you're still out there. Now, I think we can all identify with verses 8 and 9 in that as we wait for the time where judgment is going to reign over the earth God's way, and he rules and reigns the nations in righteousness. The desire of our soul, I believe, I know it's for me, 
I believe it's for all of you as well, is for God's name to be great in our country again. For him to be exalted in this land of the free and home of the brave again. I believe it is the desire of our soul that our nation and its leaders remember the heritage we have as a country and the foundations we enjoy that have brought us the blessings of trust that are waning fast in times such as these. Romans 13, 8 to 14 reminds us to owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as what? Would our country and world look different if everyone did that? Well, of course it would. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for our salvation. Now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision, say no provision, no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. I think we're all feeling of late, like is that day ever going to come? Is, there, is it ever going to happen when we are supernaturally translated in a moment in a twinkling of an eye? And the answer is obviously yes, it's coming. Today's as good as day as any for the Lord to snatch us off the face of the earth and take us home forever to be with him. And our souls are desiring him more in this night season that we are in. We all want to go home. Amen? I don't mean your house here. I mean... We want to go home. We want to be with Jesus. We want him to come sooner rather than later. And Micah reminds us in 4, 1 to 4, that it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. Mount Zion will be the place from which the Lord rules. And peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the Lord, uh, house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Listen, if God says something, it's going to happen. And he just said what we just read. And it's going to happen someday. Someday all of the swords will be beat into basically plowing and planting devices. Spears will be turned into something that prunes the vines of a vineyard 
and everyone shall sit under his vine and fig tree, speaking of divine provision. No one will make them afraid. God said this is going to happen, and it is going to come to pass. Now, in the here and now, I have to say this morning, I'm tired of wars and rumors of wars. Aren't you? I'm tired of politics. I'm tired of a lying media. Hello? I'm tired of a lying media. I'm tired of a governor who thinks he can tell the church how they are to operate. I'm tired of abortion. I'm tired of ethnic tensions. I'm tired of protest riots and looting. I'm tired of the abuse of power by some. I'm tired of anti-Semitism. I'm tired of Bill Gates and George Soros. I'm tired of athletes and movie stars who think their fame equals the authority to tell us what to do, how to think, and what we can believe. I want Jesus to come and take us home, and I want him to do that today, even right now. But here's the thing about the blessing of trust. No matter how long we live in this world, we will never be of it. No matter how long we live in this world, we will never be of it. And listen, I'm tired of a lot of things as are you, and my soul longs for goodness, righteousness, and truth, but we all have to remember that no matter how dark the day, we are still not of this world. And Philippians 3, 20 to 21 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Is there anybody else here who's looking forward to a new body? You know what? I'm tired of gaining weight just by reading the dessert menu. I want my 18-year-old metabolism once again. We have new bodies coming. Our Savior is coming for us from heaven. And I know they allow and promote singing there. And we are living on earth. But we are citizens of heaven. And that means, listen close, here's the point of this middle section. We can love our neighbor even when they hate us. We can be a politician and not be crooked. We can work in the media and not be a liar. We can be an athlete or actor and not be full of ourselves. And it doesn't matter how long the Lord chooses to leave us here, we don't ever need to become like the world or the things we're getting tired of here. How is that possible? Keep your mind stayed on the Lord. Even as our souls long for him to be exalted in all the earth as he should be. Now let's finish off with 10 to 14. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they will see and be ashamed for their envy of people. Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them, or it will be self-consuming. Lord, you will establish peace for us. 
for you have also done all our works in us. O Lord our God, masters beside you have had dominion over us, but by you only we make mention of your name. They are dead. They will not live. Excuse me. They are deceased. They will not rise. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. Now, again, we can personally identify with Isaiah, I think particularly on this Independence Day weekend. And if we were to apply this to ourselves, we could paraphrase verses 10 and 11 as saying, Lord, it doesn't matter how much you've blessed America, some people just refuse to see it. You've shown grace to the wicked of the land, and yet they have not learned anything from it. They continue in their evil ways. And looking back to Isaiah 5, 3 to 7, the prophet writes and says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. Obviously the Lord speaking. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then? When I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it shall be burned. And break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug. But there shall come up briars and thorns. I also will command the clouds that they rain rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice but behold oppression. For righteousness but behold a cry for help. Now. Listen, we need to be careful about adopting things as the church that are written specifically to Israel and applying them to our nation or any other. And the Jews are the only ethnic national people group that God has labeled as his chosen people. Now, we become God's chosen uh, generation, a holy priesthood by faith in Jesus Christ, who is today and always has been the king of the Jews. Amen? Now, that means we don't need to apply to our nation what is written here regarding Israel in the national sense. But what we can take and apply to our own nation is this. What more could God have done for the United States of America than what he has already done? What more could he have done to cause the vast majority of people in this country to honor and glorify him. He's blessed us like no other nation in the history of the world. We honored him when our nation was born. We created the laws of this land based on his. We acknowledge that he is the creator of all things in our founding documents. So he blessed us materially like no other nation in history. He blessed us militarily when we sought to keep others and even put our own people in harm's way for the sake of liberty and justice for all, even when all included people who lived in other lands. His spirit has swept through this land on multiple occasions, sweeping hundreds of thousands of people into the kingdom of God through great awakenings in our own country and other places as well. He called on the church in America America, to go out on the mission field and bring the good news of Jesus Christ 
around the world and America answered the call and sent missionaries all over the world. But now our nation and most of its people have submitted to other masters and only few make mention of his name after all the Lord has done for us. And verse 14 gives the future of all godless nations and peoples and that is the Lord will destroy them and make the memory of them perish. But listen, here's what we need to remember in the midst of all those dark realities. In Genesis 18, 22 to 25, the Lord said, Because the cry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in the city? Listen to what Abraham said to the Lord. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. And then he poses this question to the Lord. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Do we know the answer to that question? Of course God is going to do right. And we know the negotiations that Abraham said. He kept whittling it back down further and further. Well, let's just say there's 45 or 40 or 35 or 30 or 25 or 20. Or he gets all the way down to 10. Suppose there's only 10 people who are righteous in the midst of this wicked city. Would you destroy those 10 people with the wicked? And God said, no, if there's even 10, then I'll spare the city. Listen, the evil in our world is very great. The greatest evil of all is rejecting God. But we need to remember that Abraham was right. While the outcry against our world is very great, the Lord will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. And we know that the Lord removed Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah before he destroyed it because there weren't even 10 righteous found in the city. So he just removed Lot, his wife and daughters from the city. And so too, he is going to remove us before he establishes his peace on earth through the means of destroying his enemies. Now, here's what we need to remember as the final blessing of trust. Listen this morning. Trusting in God delivers us from his wrath. Trusting in God delivers us from his wrath. And when I say trusting in God, I'm talking about trusting that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, did what the Bible said he came to do, and that salvation is exclusively only through Jesus Christ, and there is no other way of salvation. Listen, it's a hard truth, but it's true nonetheless. And that is that peace on earth requires God's judgment of the earth. It can't happen any other way. In Romans 5, 6 through 9, we're told, When we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward who? Us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now listen close. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, 
we shall be saved from what? Wrath through him, him being Jesus. Now the plural pronoun we is qualified by the previous statement that those who have been justified by the blood of Christ have had the wrath for their sin satisfied by Jesus poured out blood. And therefore Paul could later say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the church at, uh, at Philadelphia in Revelation 3.10, amongst the letters to the seven churches, in the second to the last letter, the Lord says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Listen. July 4th, 1776. Our nation ratified a declaration that was put to page by the pen on July 2nd of the same year. And the opening statement is this, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. And we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think we all recognize that a nation that was born out of a rejection of tyranny is now ruled by tyrants. There are people in places of power that care little or nothing for the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. All they care about is holding on to power and ruling over the masses. Our nation is imploding, and it will without doubt someday join the world in its hatred of Israel and thus be numbered among those whom God himself will fight against as he fights in the day of battle, according to Zechariah 14. It all began when our learning institutions began to turn their back on God. If we look at the oldest schools in the United States of America, some founded way back in the early 17th century, seven out of eight Ivy League schools were founded or began as seminaries or were founded by churches with the exception of Cornell University. And yet here we are today with our universities being the purveyors of hating God, the promoters of godliness that has now created a generation with no respect for God and country and no regard for human life. A generation who believes that right and wrong are personal decisions, not divine ordinances. And some have said that Billy Graham said, if God does not judge America, he owes an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. And listen this morning. Isaiah 66 concludes with this. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? 
And where is the place of my rest for all those things, all the building materials, all the real estate you could use to build me a house or a place to rest my feet? All those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, who trembles at what? At my word. That's a reverent awe for the word of God. Listen, our wonderful, beautiful country has fallen into the hands of the world. And I'm thankful that we do have those in places of power who are fighting for the survival of our country. I'm thankful that our president is making a valiant effort to stop the slide. And I believe if he is given another four years to try and do so, that we will experience another season of blessing. But there is an end for our nation and every other. And yet every individual who honors the Lord and his word will have the blood of Christ as the satisfaction of God's wrath for their sins. And they will be saved from the wrath that is to come. The night is far spent, but a new day is at hand. A day where we will sing the song of salvation that we read in part here from Isaiah 26. But until then, we need to remember this world is not our home. This country is not our home. This county is not our home. And the governor is not our ruler. God is our ruler. And we put him and his dictates above all else. Yes, we are called to obey those in authority. But when those in authority defy God, we side with God. Now, I love our country. Amen? I love our history. I love our heritage. Yes, of course, we've made mistakes. America's full of fallible people. Still, was in the beginning. But God has blessed us because our nation was built on trusting in him. And Jesus said it would be as it was in the days of Noah before his return, and it is. The wickedness of man is great in the earth. The world is filled with violence, and the thoughts and intents of man's heart is only evil continually. The Bible says perilous times would come in the last days, and they have. Mankind is largely a lover of pleasure and a hater of God. Jesus said his followers would be hated for his name's sake, and we are. And for those who were thinking, I thought we were going to talk about the blessings of trust. We have been, because those who trust in the Lord are about to meet the Lord in the air and forever be with the Lord and will not be present on the earth when he pours out his wrath on those who hate him, who have rejected his words. And I have to say, that, my friends, is a blessing. And it all comes from trusting in the Lord. Listen, as I said, our time together this morning is an encouragement that there's a better day coming, but it's also a reality check that things are going to get worse before they get better. That's why we have sayings like it's always darkest before the dawn. That's the same as the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Things are wrapping up very clearly. And listen, I'm like everybody else. I would like to believe that the reason that the United States is not present in biblical prophecy is because revival sweeps through this land and the rapture cleans this country out coast to coast and just leaves a handful of people behind who have someone come in and take them over and they fall right in step with the Antichrist and his minions 
uh, during that time period. I, I pray that that's why the United States is not present in biblical prophecy. But if it's another reason, if it's that our land is going to continue this implosion path that we are now on, we still need to remember we are citizens of heaven. Our hope is in Jesus. He cannot, the devil cannot steal, kill, and destroy us. No one can snatch us from the Father's hand. Nothing can separate us from his love. We are God's people. We are headed for heaven. This is not our home. And someday, I believe, not too much longer than seven years from now, we're going to be in a glorified state, coming back with Jesus as he rules and reigns this earth in righteousness. And we will come on white horses with him clothed in the righteous acts of the saints. I got to say, that's some pretty good stuff in times such as these for us to remember. And it all is born out of blessing or tr the blessings of trust. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Are you trusting in the Lord with all your heart? Leaning not on your own understanding? In all your ways, acknowledging him, allowing him to direct your path. I hope so, because he's going to get us through all this, even if he gets us through us by coming to get us. I'm okay with that, if that's his choice. But I'm just as thankful that he has left us here with the same mission and commission that he instituted back when he sent his disciples out into the world. Go to the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He is still saving souls even in these ever-darkening times. You know, I know this may sound impossible, but he can even save Gavin Newsom. He could save Bill Gates. George Soros, I may feel on that one. Yeah, of course he could. Amen? And so we need to keep our eyes on the prize and remember that God is in control even when the world is out of it. Somebody say... Amen. And Father, we are grateful once again for your matchless word this morning. We thank you for these reminders. As tough as they have been, you told us the world was going to be perilous in the last days. You told us men would be lovers of self and haters of God, lovers of pleasure, rejectors of you, headstrong, haughty, all the other things that 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5 tell us. Jesus, you said it would be as it was in the days of Noah, a world filled with violence the wickedness of man being great in all the earth, and the thoughts and intents of man heart, man's heart being only evil, and this continuing. And yet you connected us through our relationship with you with peace and hope. We thank you that we can have that shalom, shalom, the perfect peace by keeping our minds stayed on you, that peace that passes understanding and also guards our heart and mind through Christ Jesus. So we thank you, Lord, for the blessings of trust this morning. Even as we mourn what is happening in our country and world today, we cry out to you on behalf of this land. We ask that you would sweep through here once again as you have in the past with a great awakening, bringing to life those who are spiritually dead, that you might receive glory. And Lord, that the rapture is the reason America is not found in biblical prophecy. We pray these things, Lord, expectantly as our soul longs for you and that your name to be great in our country again. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,
Amen.